Welcome. Welcome on another journey into the mystic. I'm Kayleen McCaw, coming to you from the heart of Wildwood Gardens. And I have a very special guest with me on the other end of the line today. But first things first. Sending out the carrier wave that contains our intention for this sacred time together. Lighting the cup of joy with the intention that it stand between us and serve as the reminder of the highest ideal in this human experience. It is our joy that brings us to life. It is our joy that is our highest offering to the collective. And I set that as the standard for our interactions. Let the fragrance of the burning tree remind us that we are the light of eternity taking a trip through the temporary reality of earth mud manifestation and into this intersection between the eternal and the now I call all of the helpers that are available to us. I call our ancestors, our descendants. I call all of the highest beings by whatever names they most prefer, not using them out loud because they all tend to piss people off because we've been divided along ideological lines. So I simply call for grace and truth, and let that be the goal of our time together. So, uh. on the other side of the line, I have a very special man. Uh, his name is Scott Keyes. He was one of the teachers of my precious babies and one of the few people to whom I would entrust them again after having <laughs> gone through the experience. But I'm just, he's a, he's a teacher at, well, I'm just gonna let him tell you who he is because he'll do a better job. Let me change my view here and welcome. Welcome Scott Keys. Thank you, Kayleen. This is so great. And I think I, I so need this. I, um, I know you contacted me a while back and asked would I do this. And I said yes back then. And then it's been a, a while and I'm probably a completely different person than I was two months ago. Oh, um, <laughs> so anyway, to identify myself, uh, I am in going into my 21st year at Booker High School where I teach in the visual and performing arts department. Um, primarily I direct musicals, um, but I am a, a theater teacher, theater arts teacher. Um, across the board, I'm a writer, a lyricist, a composer. I do a lot of stuff and I've been trying to do some of that. Um, and, but I guess if, if I was to define myself primarily in the last 21 years, a teacher would be the first thing that, the first word that I would use. Um, and it has been very hard to be a teacher uh, right now. Yeah. Um, trying, trying to figure out, um, trying to take care of myself, um, trying to take care of my students, but from a very remote and distant place. And that's very confusing. And I don't know that I've been doing a particularly good job, to be honest, um, because I, you know, I've been a bit of a hermit during this quarantine, which I guess is sort of the- Kind of the definition. The <laughs> that's sort of the goal, I guess. And, and so this forced captivity has been both good and bad. Um, and it, it's, I don't live alone. I have my partner and a very good friend of ours, Heath, who um, is staying with us. And 
I sort of think of us as sort of like a little, um, I don't, it's a coven of witches. What do you call wizards? A, a, a group uh, of wizards. Well, uh, men are witches too, just like, you know, bulls or cows. So it, we have our little coven. Heath does plants. He can make anything grow and does so beautifully. David does many things well, um, but he, food is where his magic powers lay. And then I lock myself in my room and I write, and words are my power. You know, I write poetry and songs and things like that. And um, I've certainly been doing a good portion of that. Um, trying to figure out what this next year holds for all of us. And we are just in this, uh, well, a conundrum, uh, an apocalypse, Armageddon, who I, I don't know what to call it. Right. Um, and as I was saying to you, Kayleen, I have days of great optimism and hope. And then I have very dark days of, wow, how are we going to get past this? And um, so from an education standpoint, I mean, obviously, it's, it's all over the news. How do we go back to school? Um, brick and mortar. Uh, I just recently posted a poem called Brick and Mortar about, you know, how how do we go back to this brick and mortar captivity when we know inherently it is dangerous and yet ironically the is that i don't know a teacher i do not know a single teacher who does not say i want to be in the classroom with my kids i want to be there in face to face with my students i certainly don't know how to do it any other way i have tried this online thing um i had a modicum and a, and a bare modicum of success when we were thrust into it back in the spring. And I so hoped that we would not have to go back um, to it because it, it, it's just putting humanity and, and in, into such a odd conflict um, that none of us want to be in. And yet we're sort of, we, we want to be in the conflict, but we don't want to have to face it, and we worry about each other. And the other thing I was saying to you is, as a teacher, you always want to fix things, and you want to have the answers, and you want to guide. And I have found it, my powers of guidance to be um, challenged, <laughs> I yeah. guess would be the word. Very yeah. challenged. Well, it, it seems like the opportunity to you know take the optimistic language here that life has presented to us is exactly that it's like look go to your rooms and put on your oxygen mask and take as long as it takes to do that and until we have gone through that process how can we guide anybody else right it's right new territory it's flat out new territory and the thing i keep reminding myself is that we asked for this we were all cursing the old world because it was broken and horrible and made us into less than human. So thank you, life, for breaking the thing we asked to be broken. But wait, <laughs> show exactly. us how to put it back together. Absolutely. I, oh, I agree with you so much. I'm like, well, we certainly know, we know in our hearts and our souls that it wasn't going completely right. Mm -hmm. But we, um, so, but this schism, this, this, catastrophe that has befallen us um I, I don't think any of us quite saw it uh, coming this way and yet history and tales and drama all tell of this story exactly over and over and over again 
and we relish it when it comes in the form of fiction <laughs> as a cautionary tale, <laughs> but we have been thrust into the cautionary tale. Um, and, and, um, yeah. That's kind of where, where, where I first realized I wanted to have a conversation with you and his you, uh, way back at the beginning, you know, when it was easier to joke, <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you, you said something like, remember the virus is the precipitating action. It's not the right, right, right. Yet. It's the inciting action, right? Ah. Uh, you know, I had um, the the Greeks have been coming back to me a lot <laughs> during this time, and going back to those roots of theater because everyone was like, theater is never coming back the way it was, mm -hmm. and um, somebody somebody else posted. I didn't come up with this idea, but it, it's a great one. I always study Oedipus Rex with my freshmen, and they just posted. Remember. Um, Oh, how did it go? Yeah, the Oedipus Rex starts with the plague. Um, you know, that's that's where the story starts. This is not the end of the story. It is just the beginning of the story. And I just thought in our current, with our current um, leadership, that that is a great example of, of somebody who is in complete denial about this plague that is killing his world. And... Um, you know, and he has to be banished at the end. And I went, well, if that isn't prophetic, what, you know, what is? I, you know, I don't want to get political, but it, but it just seemed very prophetic. And then I saw a guy from the Guthrie Theater, um, the artistic director, and I should know his name and I don't, um, but he talked about going to Greece and standing um, he's like, it, it was just beautiful. And you see all of these ruins and you see these buildings in shambles and you don't quite know what they are. So you need a tour guide to say, this was the great temple of, and this was, and he said, but standing on the hill and I, and I knew because I have been to Greece and I know exactly where he was. And I have stood on that hill and he said, you look down and you see the, the theater of Dionysus and you have no question what it is or what it is there for and why it has survived almost intact um, of all of these great ruins that are all around. And it gave me great hope. And I, and I go back to that image all the time that theater will come back. Theater is essential. Um, theater is essential. And, and, and it, for me, I have to believe that because I've devoted my life to it, um, both teaching it, doing it, writing it, um, so I, I, I know that theater is essential and that we will, we will return. Um, and the fact that it's going to investigate that spiritual nature, the theater, that communal nature, yeah. it will come back. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> theater keeps coming back to me as the most useful metaphor for talking about spiritual things with people at large. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is a script. You know, you can substitute that for all the fights we have about what the God thing is. It's like, look, there's a script. <laughs> the end is known from the beginning. There is a curtain that comes down and otherwise it wouldn't be any fun to sit in the audience. Right, there are right. roles that we play. Some people are double cast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. See, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, the other thing about the Greeks and, and, and theater and politics and where we are right now is that the Greeks required, it was your civic duty. Mm -hmm. Not even, not only was it a spiritual, well, 
the spiritual was locked into the civic. It was your civic duty to attend the theater and go and watch these tragedies happen before you mm -hmm. and say, please gods, never again, mm -hmm. or let me learn from this. Let me learn how to survive from this. Um, we all fall down. We can come back from, from tragedy. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to end in death. Um, although there is usually a death, you know, death that's associated with it. And we're certainly, you know, watching that happen around us too, is that people are dying and we want to spare each other, spare ourselves, but hopefully spare each other as part of our civic and spiritual duty. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point because I, I came to that. I was one of my jobs that disappeared in the, <laughs> in the, in the ensuing action was I was um, sure. doing the Haunted Sarasota Trolley Tour. Oh God, oh so wow. Fun. It's like a cabaret on wheels. I got to sing goofy songs Fabulous. about being dead and you know tell stories about all kinds of stuff. That's great. And, and one of the things that I managed to slip in there is because, you know, when we're talking about dead people, we got the dead Calusa Indians who were here dying first. And right. they had this traditional, in the most ancient sense, culture where just like you say, there's not a separation between our spiritual reality and our cultural reality. And that because we all know that we're looking at the same version of the world, we know that we're together. And we right. can shape our destiny with some consciousness. Yes. That's so lacking. Right. And, and uh, <laughs> consciousness, it, it, it's such a good word. And, you know, even though, you know, I, I've sort of proclaimed myself as a hermit during this time, I really have. And I, I enjoy being alone. I, you know, I write and that's a very solitary thing. Uh, there's the two parts of me. There's the solitary writer who loves to be alone. And then there's the theater person who loves working with and collaborating and and you know and all of that um and and teaching as well but that's just not that's just not part of of where we are right now although um oh i had i had somewhere i was going with this but uh, consciousness you said um you know in the wake of the pandemic there's also been just this social injustice upheaval and and black lives matter and all of that and i have really really been trying to be introspective about all of that. And um, we, I live and work in a very um, unusual and at times contentious place being at Booker High School. Right, talk um, a bit about that. Yeah, and, and um, you know, while it is a very diverse campus, it's, uh, to break it down, it, it, it's probably one third, one third, one third plus. It's, it's about one third white, one third black, one third Hispanic. And then we have many other um, ethnicities um, at the school. But our department has, has always been uh, sadly um, homogenized. It, um, it's been difficult to um, get black students to audition for the department. Um, but by the same, by the same, um, well, I was going to say token and that seems like, <laughs> um, in the same vein, um, some of our most successful graduates who have come out of the program during the time that I've been there anyway, um, have been, um, black actors, um, Saisha and Charlie and, um, yeah, but and we've had many successful students, but um, those are those are ones who have really, you know, made sort of notable career um, uh, 
leaps. Um, and so I, I've been looking at that and talking to alumni, um, black students who have gone through the program um, and trying to come to some understanding of what, what I have always recognized and sort of been aware of a system, uh, systemic racism that, that has gone on through our department. But I was told about it before I ever came into the department. I tried or, or at least thought I was trying to, to make changes, but it has remained um, a challenge. Yeah. Um, well, so, okay. So since, since this just comes up as part of the package, let's spend a little time on it because it's been something I've puzzled with too. I, I spent 13 years at the Players Theater. Right. Uh, which is the, you know, like quasi-professional community theater in town. I ran the, uh, the costume department and the backstage theater and did a lot of performing. And that is actually the place where West Coast Black Theater had its genesis. Made right. the first iteration of that within the confines of the players, because, you know, the community grows out of the community. It was a beautiful, natural, natural thing. Sure. But now, ironically, and I hope I'm using the word correctly, because nobody does anymore, <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, because of the success of the West Coast Black Theater, I never have the opportunity to just do theater with anybody who doesn't look like me. Right, right. And um, it's I, more segregated than ever. Right, and and you know, I am so impressed with what what Nate has done, and that he stuck with it and convinced people this is this is worthwhile and this is needed and um in in this community and he's done a great job i i will say um again not to cast aspersions i love my home here in florida and here in sarasota but but it is a i think it is um systemic of of our of our whole um wider community as well um, because there, you know, there are other communities where black theater um, and and black actors and black students thrive a little bit better. Um, but certainly in Sarasota, they it is diff, it's difficult. So even casting shows, um, you know, I, I've seen I've seen theaters um, be berated because they're like, well, you only do one show a year where there are actual black roles. Right, because they don't audition. Because they don't audition, and we and can't. Then, and then you actors. get stuck in this thing where you you only do the shows where the character has to be black. So it's about race and about racism and about all the stuff we want to put behind us. And that's what I'm saying. If we just like made this special world where we purposely just shake all the pieces up together and say, "You play whoever comes out." Right. And, you know, today I'm the master, tomorrow you are, you know, and, or we just tell different stories and we, we don't get to do that. Right. And it, 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 it seems to be very, very difficult. And, it, you know, it's true. It's true of all the theaters in town. Um, largely, if you, you know, you look at players and you look at Manatee and you look at Venice and, and um, Chris Getty is doing a wonderful job down there as their, their director of diversity. But it, it's been difficult. Um, well, and, and the truth is, what he's doing is paying black actors to come from someplace else. That's how they get all those fine looking young men is they, they're, they're professionals. They're, they're, they're um, ringers. Right. And, and, and I, and I, and I you know, and I, and I see the, you know, the dichotomy of that as well, which is maybe we can find the people in our own community who are interested in black theater. If we can produce theater that will allow them to see themselves on stage and go, Oh, 
I could do this. I want to do this. And, you know, and so I, I understand that it's an, it's an outreach um, to bring black actors to the area um, so that, so that the, the actors who may be around the actors of color will see themselves and want to be part of it. But it, it, um, it, it's difficult. And I know every theater in town is needing to address it. And I certainly have been looking at it, um, you know, in terms of my history with Booker, we've, we've been fortunate. Um, and I have, um, I'm always very, very conscious about, uh, about casting and things like that. Um, you know, and I don't want to list off, oh, here's the shows that we did that have black characters, because that sounds ingenuous. And I don't mean it that way. But we've, and we've had sort of ups and downs um, in terms of times when we've had a lot of black students and times when we have had a dearth of black students yeah. in the program. Um, so anyway, that's, well, so I've been, I've been thinking that, a lot of, go I, ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, this is, I think, part of the hand-wringing situation we find ourselves in is beating ourselves up over something that we don't have any control over. Right. Like, there's no reason for you to feel guilty about the fact that black actors don't audition for your program. You right. didn't do that. And right, right. to go out and say, you have to join us so that I fit my interior quota. It's like, well, that's another form of racism. <laughs> when do we just like level out and say, I know my aim is true. What is life going to bring me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so then, but on top of the pandemic, that, that certainly is, is another thing that I have been dealing with me in my mind and with both the social injustice and the, and the pandemic situation. Um, I, I look back at some of my writing um, and I go, Oh, I've been, I've been writing about, I've been writing this story in some version or another, however mythical it may be um, in my, in my telling of it. Um, I have a piece I've been working on for a long time called the tattered Damalian um, you're a costumer, you'll appreciate it. Um, so tattered Damalian um, simply means um, somebody who's dressed in ragged clothing or, or just ragged clothing in general. And um, it, it's a French word. And, uh, but I conceived of this, what I call the material world and, and this group of refugees from a, the war that tore the world apart. And they are the tattered Damalian and they don't know a lot about their history. Um, and because it, it was torn apart by politicizing and, and all of this stuff. And, and wow. there's all kinds of characters. But anyway, I've been writing, I, I've been writing this story um, as, a, as a sort of folk musical, I guess, kind of thing. Um, and of course, this summer I started, I added the, the pincushion virus to mm. the story. <laughs> because I, I, I kept going, where, where does this fit in my mythological world? Um, and you look at you look at the coronavirus, and I'm like, oh, it looks like a pincushion. And so I I, um, I started adding that aspect to the story. But I, you know, um, and I I'm writing another piece right now too that sort of um, more more even more children's theater oriented about a deck of cards um, and a boy who has to unify this deck because it has been it. Uh, they're all in solitaire. All of the suits will not speak to each other. And so they're all camped out and they will not, um, it's called the kingdom of solitaire and, and they won't speak to each other. And so this kid coming of age story, hero's journey kind of thing um, has to 
um, along with his guide, who is the Joker from the pack, needs to bring these um, these worlds back together and each suit. The spades are sort of the brutality, the law and order, the everything is about violence and here's how we solve problems and um, diamonds are, are wealth and greed and, and that brings power. Um, the clubs, the ace of clubs has opened a country club and she wants to play tennis, but no, but nobody's good enough to be in her club as she sees it. So she has no one to play tennis with. So it's just that sort of whole elitism. Um, and it, you know, it just leads to being alone basically. And then the hearts, I actually haven't decided about the hearts. I've decided they are, they are probably just egotistical. Um, in love with themselves, um, self, 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 self. Um, and eventually this kid, I haven't figured out how he does it, but this kid has to bring them all back together. Is he the uh, Joker? Who else is left? Right? The, the Joker, the Joker is his, is his guide through this world he, who comes to him and says, I need your help. Come to this world with me. Um, cause you, this kid gets in trouble all the time. He's in his room because he gets grounded all the time. And then there's the quarantine on top of it. And he's like, I love this. I have my own little kingdom. I, I call all the shots and this Joker comes to him and it's like, nobody knows solitaire better than you. And all of the suits are fighting and they they've all secluded themselves and I need you to help unify them. So nice. again, it's a hero's journey kind of story. I like, so. I like it. And we need that. Yeah. And it's for a young audience to say, you know, here's a, here's, here's a way to reach kids and sort of tell the story in a, in a fun way anyway. Yeah. So what I've been looking at, you know, as I've been going through my own, my own journey, I, I think on some level when I had my girls and they're 23 now, I realized what? that we just fundamentally were wired up differently. We did not speak the same language. So at some point with, you know, a true open heart, I think it was Gwen said to me, it's like, mom, you know, I know, you're saying something, and I believe it's important, but I have no freaking idea what you're talking about. Right. So I realized it's like, okay, I have a sacred obligation to translate my natural language to the language of these people in this generation. It's like, how do I make it simple enough that it's actually helpful? Right, right. Um, yeah, uh, and Gwen and Ellie were great, and, and creative, creative spirits and kindred spirits Although there were times when they weren't so kindred, but I guess that happens with twins too. Um, but yeah, and and it is, and and I, I have not given up on. I want to get back to school. I want to try and help those kids who um, who I can reach. But I know I know this is going to be just one of the most difficult things for for all teachers going yeah. back and trying to. Um, trying to get everybody on the same page or not even on the same page. That, that sounds a little fascist, but, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> um, but just to try and bring, find a sense of community and a sense of uh, communal purpose mm -hmm. um, again. And um, yeah, I think I think that's, that's a very worthy assessment of the situation because all the stuff that is dividing us is just bogus stuff. I mean, yeah. And and it's like the it's like the abortion debate. You know, everybody if we were having an honest conversation, there's really no disagreement. There's right. really no disagreement. It's just that we're down here in the details instead of up here in the and it seems like up here is always that place where we honor life. 
Exactly. It's like if we are Gaia, and Gaia is all life on Earth, including like the microbes that we can't live without, and the bees we can't live without, and the trees that we can't live without, and the sun that we can't live without. If the only reason I'm here worrying about whether life is going to work out is because life is working out, <laughs> big L life, then right. you know it lets me just kind of fall back and say, oh yeah, you know, mom's mom's here. Mom's always been here. She's not dying. It's like right. she might be like cutting off my oxygen, so I wake the heck up. But she's gonna be just fine. <laughs> and if I can figure out how to follow her, she'll lead me to where I need to be. Right. You know, and and you bring it back to to Gaia and Earth and and all of that. That having our friend Heath here, who's he's a horticulturalist and a botanist and. He was um, actually over in Germany studying and they shut down the university over there. So anyway, he came here. He has planted stuff in our backyard and, and I walk out there and between the hawks and the snakes and the, the bees, I'm sorry? Oh, my rabbit's scratching at the door. I didn't know I was oh, here. Oh, fabulous. Um, and, and, and the flowers and we have a pond that has fish and frogs just going out there and communing with nature and seeing those that those tiny little ecosystems and just the sheer beauty of of what he has planted it's very tropical and and um i just love it back there and we have a, a pond and wow just touching base with nature um and seeing that is a real well it's just a real healing um place to, to go. Um, I, I truly believe that pretty much all of our modern ills are fundamentally a lack of nature. Yeah. We've been, we've been uh, polished and cleansed and sterilized out of everything that works for us. I mean, even you take it back to the virus, your immune system thrives on dirt. Yeah. And, and trying to sanitize everything. It's like, eh, as far as I understand it, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, like really, the, I mean, from a from a homeopathic, traditional, tribal, I mean, the the old wives' tale, and you know, there's a reason we keep telling those tales because those old wives were right. <laughs> they and were smart. You when your your kid gets the chicken pox, it's like you get all the kids together and say, "Let's get this over with." All y'all play, get sick together, and then we'll get well together, and we'll all stay well together. And yeah. suddenly, we forgot that that's how it works. Right. 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 And, it, you know, and I know there is absolutely that mindset um, that, it, that is out there. You know, these college kids who are having these COVID parties, I mean, that's, that's going back to sort of what you're talking about, about the old, you know, um, the old healing ways of let's all get it and we'll cure it and we'll probably lose a few in, on the way, but, but we'll all be stronger uh, when we come out of it. So... I know that that is, yeah, very, very true. And, and you know, you and I started out of different positions. We're having this conversation and there's nothing to fight about, right? Right. Where, where is the public square <laughs> where yeah. we can do that together? Because I know that when you actually truly talk with anybody, we all want the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, when you... I listened, I, I listened to all the fighting and when all of the voices calm down and all of the screaming and yelling calms down 
Yes, we are, we are fighting the same fight. We want the same things. Um, we may have slightly different ways of wanting to achieve those, but, but we have to find the common good and the commonality amongst everyone um, and come back together as a, as a community. Absolutely. Um, and it, it seems like we're separating into, into separate tribes you know, it's like my card musical with all the cards, you know, and that we have to sort of go off into our own communities and, and recognize that on our own and hope that we can all then somehow reconvene, um, you know, and, and, and come to some sort of like mind. Um, yeah. I, I believe it can happen. How does your, how does your little boy fix it? Or do you know yet? In your I, don't, I don't know yet. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm not entirely true mm-hmm. or sure what, what the ending will be. And I, you know, that's often true when you start writing something, you don't exactly know where it's going to end. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm working my way through that. I, I, I'm not sure how he. That's very appropriate. He also lives in a very solitary world and likes that. And, and he needs to. I don't know how he's going to unify them somehow. Yeah. Somehow he will. Yeah, interesting. So it blends in my mind with a story that keeps circulating around. Uh, great old Dr. Seuss story this, about the star-bellied Sneetches. Oh, I love the Sneetches. Um, right? So in my mind, I take your deck of cards and we just shuffle them and keep <laughs> on shuffling them and then they all blend together and it's all the suit of blobs. or <laughs> Right, absolutely. Yeah, or... Uh, some sort of crest where all of the symbols oh, there you go. Hogwarts. Yeah. 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 yeah that's um, you know, did you, did you ever read the Dan Brown book? Um, oh, what was the, but it had the air, earth, water, um, fire symbol in this calligraphy and any way you, and you could turn it any way and you saw all four of them work. I don't know. It was oh, very, nice. Nice. it reminded me of that, but, um, well, that's, that's, I mean, we've got to come to something like that where we just, yeah, we remember who we really are, we yeah. who we really are. So that's one of the things I wanted to kind of brainstorm from a, uh, from a meta storytelling perspective. Sure, sure. Right. Knowing that the new physics confirms the old mysticism, that the future that we write on purpose about where we want to end up on purpose in truth in truth, absolute verifiable truth begins to pull us toward it with a magnetic force. That's not just an old wives tale anymore. It's like the old husbands are are figuring it out too. It's like science and spirituality have come back together and they say, no, really, that's how it is. So it's incumbent upon us to write the story of where we want to end up and then let the middle part figure itself out. Absolutely. I am... You know, amongst other uh, very obvious and cliche things, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. Um, but um, watched uh, I've watched many great things, but uh, one really powerful series I, I watched was called The Leftovers. And I had read the novel um, uh, a number of years ago, but um, where basically half the world all of a sudden just disappears. And the 
people literally are sitting there washing their hands in the sink and they turn and <laughs> their family are gone. And anyway, so half the, or a third of the world just disappears and nobody can figure out what's happening. I won't go through the whole series, but um, the, the basic premise of this is uh, just, you believe what you believe and eventually the strength of those beliefs is what brings us together, even though it seems to be the thing that is, that is causing us to, um, you know, because true, you know, truth, it, everybody is looking for the truth that, that, that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Right. I guess uh, if, if you were to put it into a single goal, mm -hmm. um, we're looking fair. for the truth and, but we all just have different paths to get there. And, um, you know, and, the ironic thing at the end of the series is, well, these people spend their lives trying to figure out what happened to this one third of the people. We're watching it from their perspective. One person finally is able to cross over and just realizes, oh, we disappeared. The other people just disappeared, but they think that we're the ones who disappeared and they're trying to go on with their lives. You know, so you have this, this real uh, dichotomy, um, but everybody's still sort of living the same similar reality but yeah. Um, yeah i i i believe we are being pushed towards um a greater awakening a greater understanding and and i hope a stronger community because we have been so separated and and so self-serving um in so many ways uh in the last century i guess maybe maybe longer than that but yeah at least at least that and, yeah you know, I, I don't want and i don't want to call it american because i don't I, I don't think it's necessarily american but you know that's one of our points of view is, is is that's one of my points of view this is where i have grown up this is the country i've grown up in so right. i have to view it from this point on, until i can you know get above it and look down <laughs> Yeah, it's totally, and, and it's totally valid. And that's one of the things I think we're sorting out in our heads is, should I feel bad about just being who I am? It's like, no, because that self-condemnation ultimately makes me into the person who's worthy of condemnation. Right. You know, it, it's through radical self-acceptance, warts and all, and all the stupid intact that I'm able to say, it's like, okay, yes, I inherited some beliefs that just don't work. And until right. I can see that, I can't change it. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And and so, yeah, trying to adjust those beliefs and and um, and and let go of what what isn't working and what isn't working in your own life. Um, you you have to follow that. Uh, so it, it's interesting you you talk about the the pincushion virus because um, oh gosh, a few years ago I wrote a book uh, called The Human Experience Quick Start Guide. Okay. If I never gave you a copy, I'll, I'll mail you one. Say, I'll okay, very good. So, and looking back on it, it's like, whoo, that was intended for now, right? Because I talk about the not virus. Ah. The, you know, circle slash not virus is that we have all been taught that the way you make your way in the world is to decide what you do not want to happen and fight against it. So right. it's a war story. Yeah, yeah. Like your cautionary tale. You know, it started with the Greeks. It's like, well, very well-written stories that are all about what we do not want. Right. So one of the store sources of our trouble, even in trying to give instruction, and I think that's a mistake we make as grown-ups, 
is we tell all the story of all the stuff that you don't never want to do. <laughs> and right. get to the story of, yeah, but how do you have a life that works? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I, I find, yeah, and that, that has always been, um, I think for most teachers, that, that's a really difficult position as well, which is I, wagging your finger at your student and say, don't do this. And I wish I could tell you why, uh, <laughs> but, but I can't give you all the details. I'm just telling you, don't do it. And, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, that's, um, th that's always a, a problem with some of the cautionary tales is yeah. don't do this. Well, why not? And, and it's the why not that sometimes gets, um, not discussed yeah. deep but enough. Inherent within the why not is the thing that makes you do it. It's like that whole paradox, you know, as right. soon as you look in the direction of what does not work, that's where you're going because that's how the machine works. Exactly. You, look where you're, you, you go where you're looking at. Right, right. And, and I've always loved, you know, I mean, the mythic hero, hero's journey is always good too um, because it's circular. Mm. You move in a circle and then, and you come to a new understanding, but that, understanding will hopefully lead you on another journey that is going to lead you through some other conflicts that will lead you to an even greater understanding. And it just keeps, you know, and it keeps going in a circle. And um, yeah. it's, it's ironic because in, for <laughs> speaking of circles, my favorite thing to do in class, I, I love to gather my students in circles, either sitting on the floor or sitting in chairs. And I love circles. I love Arthur and the round table. I love that idea of a circle. It's, it's very complete and, um, all inclusive to me. Um, but it's so funny because going back to school now and, and the, the teaching philosophy has been the days of standing in front of a classroom and lecturing are gone. Get rid of those. That would, that was, you know, for the first 20 years of my teacher training, it was always said, don't do that group together, group the kids together, mingle around, do little, and now they're like desks in rows, stand in front of the room because you're going to be on camera and standing in front of people. So you can't move. You can only be in one spot. Yeah. It's so funny because it's, it's flinging us backwards to something that I think a lot of us have. Um, well, I, w I was never the stand in front of the room lecturer type teacher, but, yeah. um, but I think, I think it's throwing a lot of teachers for a loop because yeah. Well, that takes us back to that original puzzle, you know, and I, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm kind of grateful I don't have a dog in the race right now, because oh. I don't know what the heck I would do. I right. mean, really, the idea of sending my kids into a situation that is so dehumanizing, ah, I, I don't think there's a win there. I, I, exactly. Yeah, there just, there just isn't. Um, come to school so you can be with people, but don't get very close to them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, exactly. And give all your attention to staying away from each other and the ever-present, lurking, invisible enemy. Uh, uh, I mean, that, the, 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 the head shrinking we're going to have to do whenever we get the okay to come out of our burrows is pretty extreme. Right. I mean, right. people, people are saying, well, you can't fool me. It's not really safe. And that becomes like the mechanism. I'll, I'll keep myself safe by never feeling safe again. It's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, safe. Oh, safe. That that word. Um, it, it's again just in the in the dichotomy of it all. 
as acting teachers and, and directors and theater makers, it's always about take a risk, take a risk. Right. You know, theater is dangerous. You've got to be willing to take a risk. And now it's like, be safe, be safe, be safe. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's going to be fi- finding a way to explore the danger and yet remain physically safe, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, one of the hard things about this conversation is that <clears throat> there are such dramatically different views about what the danger actually is. Right. And from the beginning, I've kind of been in the, as I look at the data, I don't see a pandemic. I'm sorry, I look at the data now, I don't see an epidemic. I look at the numbers and I see a pretty good year, honestly, compared to all other years in terms of how many people are dying. And it's like, and that conversation is just not happening. Right. Well, it it is. And people are, are, are looking at it and looking at data and, and are saying the same things. Like, um, I, I think to say it's a hoax, that it doesn't exist at all, is 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 extreme. Yeah, it's not easy. I think, you know, th- there definitely is this new strain of a virus out there. And um, some people are more susceptible than others. You know, there, there are truths to what is going on, but... Um, let it go unchecked. I don't. I don't know. Um, right. Oh no. And and yeah. There's no coherence to the conversation because it's all versed in terms of this fear. Right. That, you know. Be afraid, and we'll put. We'll lock you up in a safe, and then you'll be safe, and right. we'll put you back in your eggshell, and we'll we'll shove you back in the womb of Mother <laughs> Earth, and you'll never get hurt because you'll never live. Right. It seems like that's kind of where we ended up. Yeah. So, so for my world, I mean, one of my, you know, hat collections is I'm a life cycle celebrant, which uh-huh. is like the secular version of being an old witchy woman. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that I'm very much dedicated to the power of community ritual. And the ritual right. that we just threw away somewhere back there, like it didn't matter, is the coming of age ritual which right. is a big part of what you silently do every day as you're interacting with children is, well, children, young adults, in that right. place where they're figuring out whether they're children or adults. And exactly. how, how do I know that I'm a grown-up? And when I'm a grown-up, well, that means I'm the one who decides the risk that I take with my life. Right. And our whole culture is being treated like a bunch of stupid babies who can't decide for themselves. Aside from whatever the physical risk actually is, it's like there's this fundamental insult to human dignity. Right, right. Um, and I, I, I wish my mom was alive. You know, my mom, my mom had polio, mm. and um, she had had my oldest brother and sister. I'm a, a one of five, and she had had my oldest brother and sister, and then she got hit with polio, and. Um, my father ironically was in med school at the time that it happened and he happened to be up at the Mayo clinic. And so she got, um, you know, everything, everything comes down to faith, but she, she was struck pretty bad with polio and it it was quite severe. And my father was Catholic and my mother was not, she had been raised Protestant, but my dad brought in the priest to, um, to give her the the uh, last rites, um, and she got furious 
and said, get out. I am not going to die. Get out of my room right now. And my father had always hoped that my mom would convert. And, um, you know, this isn't like a, a family secret or a family skeleton in the closet, but I mean, it was, a, it was, it always remained a major moment. Um, but when my father explained it, he understood why my mom was so offended by that, 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 that ritual step that he had taken. Um, cause it meant a lot to him and he wanted, you know, but anyway, I don't know what you said that made me go off on that tangent. Well, it's about, it's about life and death, you know. And it's about life and death. They, they are the same thing. So the, the fundamental element of the coming-of-age ritual, and, you know, it varies in extremes from one culture to the other. Sure. On some level, you take your own life into your hands because that's what it means to be an adult. Yes, yes. I mean, and it can be pretty dramatic pretty drastic or, or pretty mild, but basically, and, and this happened with the girls, we, uh, it's when Ellie was auditioning up in North Carolina, and we went to a state park, and we climbed up the cliff, and you know, my guidance system says, okay, you just stay back and let them handle this, because this is important. So, you know, they walk out to the edge of the cliff and look down into this incredible abyss, you know, into the face of their inevitable death, should they choose to jump off. And right. them, I won't say who on the way up actually says, Mom, you think people come up here thinking they're going to kill themselves? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I think they do, honey. But when they realize that they have the power to, they don't need to anymore. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's it. That, yeah, and yeah. When you have the Staring into that great abyss. Yeah, exactly. So they both did the same thing, right? They, they, they walk up to the very edge with their toes hanging over and they look down and they think about it and then they go, because <laughs> everything after here is gravy because I decided to stay alive by golly. Yeah. And, and oh. that's, that's, that's an initiation. So Absolutely. in all this mess, Absolutely. we need that. Right. It, it's, it's like a cat with their nine lives. Like you, you, you have those moments in your life where you're confronted with, I could do this or I could do that and I choose this. And it, it, you know, they, they can be very small but very profound moments. That it, It's a great metaphor. Once you stand that high and look down into that abyss, you recognize how small you are but how big you are and how powerful you are at the same time, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it, it, it elevates you and it takes you to uh, another level. So. Yeah, and when I own my own power, I don't have to worry about fighting with you because I am sovereign, right? I yeah. am the queen. Of, I, I am. I'm in control of my bubble. I'm not worried about whether you're going to push me around, and therefore, I have the grace and dignity to extend grace to you because I'm not worried about whether you're taking my power away because I own it. Right. I think. I think the word sovereign is the word that my little boy learns in his card game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that word. That's the yeah. word that I, <laughs> oh, I, boy, need, I, I needed that word. <laughs> it, cool. For me, it's the big, big deal about this whole experience. What does that mean? Knowing, knowing, being alone is great, but knowing who you are allows you to expand and be with other people in, without needing to dominate them, um, you know, so. And the more we're scared of the boogeyman, the more we're scared of each other. Right, right. right. So the whole idea of staying safe. It's like, so let's, let's, let's puzzle this out together because I know there's a better word. We're being told we have to be safe. It's like, what do we need to be instead that makes us big? 
Uh, mm. I can't. I can't. I can't find the word. I know, right? It's it's something to puzzle on, though. For for me, I mean, I, I was watching your gesture, and I just kept thinking "open," but there's a there's a better word. Mm -hmm. um, well, okay, so let's safe safe is closed, and open yeah. is you know. Um, I'm I am receiving the grace of. I am Gaia. I'm a, I, I am I, Gaia. We are yeah. part of something that cannot fail. Yes. If I remember that I am the light that's passing through the mud and not the mud, who cares what happens to the mud? Right. If, if, if I remember that I am all of this life, then as long as anything goes forward, I go forward. Yeah. It's like that beautiful paradox where the more I am just myself, the more I am all of us. And the more I am all of us, the more I get to be myself. And yeah. It, it, that, that is that is the challenge of life it, that that is what we do every day um there is not a day that i don't examine who i am and what i want and what i want to do and once i this time has been difficult because sometimes i just keep coming up with too many answers or not enough answers or something but but once i know sort of what i want to do my ability to share becomes so much easier um yeah you know yeah so um do you have any writing that you might like to share um i do i do um let me see if because i'm always delighted when you put your work out there a very deep thinker and clearly a soul of great integrity. Can I escape from here for just a second? Sure. Yeah, let me, um, well, I may, I, it's just the two of us, so now I just need <laughs> to, uh, let me find this. Since we talked a lot about education, I'll, um, I'm gonna print this out. Oh, okay so that I have it in front of me. And let me see if it'll print. All right, so let, while this is printing, let's keep talking. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I just kept hearing that phrase, brick and mortar, and um, you know, we were talking about safe and open, and, and um, it, it's, you know, it's a phrase that's really just sort of entered our vocabulary, brick and mortar, you know, th this idea of, it was stores, you know, oh, everything is on the internet, you can just shop on the internet, you don't, we don't need brick and mortar stores anymore, and, um, and now schools being referred to brick and mortar, and it, you know, the, the flip side of that is, one, it is safe, and two, it is imprisoning, or, um, you know, and, uh, and I didn't try to answer any questions. I just shared these thoughts. So this is called brick and mortar. Brick and mortar, mortar and brick. The world is sick. Get well quick. Brick and mortar, a supporter or a cynic? Classroom, cafeteria, or clinic? How will we survive, stay alive within our hallowed halls, surrounded by the walls of brick and mortar? 
brick and mortar, stage or sport or any sort of extracurricular activity, whatever your particular proclivity, the creativity to stay alive, safe within that captivity of brick and mortar. I teach, that's what I do, a breach of contract, a breach of contact. I cannot reach my students through a screen. It's meaningless, so much technology between us. I want to be in the room, not on Zoom. I want human connection, not virtual, but viral infection of knowledge to commune. Plans of college and career, shared teacher to student, student to teacher, face-to-face, -face, voices and choices to each your own, hands reaching in the air to share the answer in their head. Instead, we wash our hands and wring our hands with worry. Should we be in a hurry to return so quick to brick and mortar? Some students apathetic, parents in a panic, this pandemic, a plexiglass border that cannot be crossed, chaos and order, should we resort to brick and mortar, sequester for another semester, quarantine for another quarter, or thwart each scientific report and the statistics? Is it solipsistic to rebel, refuse, retort? The longest summer of our lives grows shorter. What will we learn if we return to brick and mortar? We are not immortal not made of brick and mortar, but rather of flesh and blood and bone and breath, scared to death to be entombed in my room, consumed by the looming walls of brick and mortar. Brick and mortar, mortar and brick, the world is sick and getting sicker, get well quick. A little bit bleak. That's fantastic. Your use of your, your internal structure is just gorgeous. Thank you, thank you. You always come up with the smartest, fun stuff. I like <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, just, um, just trying to find um, what I know every teacher is going through um, because it, it's, it's a real confusion um, about going back. And um, there's no right or wrong answer. There are only choices at this point, so. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. And I mean, one of the things I remember, you know, saying with a friend who we, we get together and plan the world, you know, we have our big, our big conversations at the beginning of this whole thing. I mean, I can see it's like, well, this is what we asked for. This is the takedown of everything. It's not working. And that means that, you know, not because the teachers aren't good, but because the system is screwy, school right. is working. So right. it needs to come down so we can put it back together better. Absolutely. And, you know, then whatever's going to, has to happen is going to happen. I have to believe that. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I am optimistic. I am hopeful um, that we will find some order in, in all of yeah. this. Um, and, yeah. but something that, and I'm not talking about law and order, but I'm just talking in this yeah, well, that, I mean, that's a, that's an excellent thing you just said there, a sense of order. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes us back to our, you know, what's the good version of safe? Um, if it's not safe, it's secure. Secure, security, yes. Right? Yeah. I don't have to fight for the security of my borders. I know where my borders are because right. I fill them up with the light of my presence. Yeah, I, the, the, that's, a, that's a great, that's a great image yeah secure is a much um stronger um more optimistic word yeah and it, and it puts the responsibility back where it belongs exactly um, exactly with us yeah very good well i wish you strength and wisdom for the crazy crazy as it <laughs> unfolds before you 
and I just taking it one day at a time. And yes, we are waiting for people with certain powers, but um, everything that I have asked for or, or yeah, asked the universe for in terms of this has come through in some way, in some answer, even if it's just something like, let's push it back a few more weeks. I mean, that's, I was like, let's, let's not rush into it, you know, and, and then they pushed it back. And so keep asking the universe and it seems to, um, it seems to rebound back in a, in a positive way. So. Yeah. And, keep and as I, you know, etch out the structure of the, the story that I'm telling about this, I keep coming back to one of those farces where when you suddenly realize what's been going on all along, everything that seemed like a tragedy was actually really wonderful and we all have a great laugh together. Like right, that's, right. that's the play I want to wake up inside of. Right. There's going to, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be laughter at the end of this. I, I, I believe that and, and singing and revelry and yeah. um, all of those good parts, you know, that you always have to slaughter the goat at the beginning. <laughs> And then, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is right. that part. <laughs> okay. so, should we leave on that note? I think I think that's a wonderful place to stop. Thank you. Thank you Bye. so much for being a part of my journey. I'll I'll send us back out here. Okay. Thanks so much. So sending out again the carrier wave, that perfect expression of all that is represented in sound. And on that wave, the intention of our good intentions carried up to the level that contains us all. As these two forces merge, may our consciousness remember where we are in a universe that unfolds according to a pattern of beauty that wants the best for us and gives us everything we need so that we can prove how wonderful this world is. You want to find out more about uh, my sound healing work, find some past episodes, or get your own copy of the Human Experience Quick Start Guide, hit me up at kayleemacaw.com. And I'll see you again. Have a beautiful day, Kimmy.